Today, Jimmy Blackman joins the show. Hey everybody, welcome to CultureCast. Super excited to have you guys here with me. Uh, This week we are talking about uh, leadership and I'm really excited uh, for my guest this week. Uh, His name is Jimmy Blackman and uh, he, uh, well, he's a keynote speaker, talks a lot about leadership. He's got a military background and uh, had a a pretty good conversation with him last week. I'm excited to uh, keep that going. So uh, Jimmy, how are you doing today, my friend? Great. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Not a problem. Very, very happy that you're uh, here. So uh, every episode I do, we start the same way. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit uh, about you and your background and and what you're doing now? Okay. Uh, I grew up in uh, northern Georgia, went to school and got commissioned uh, a lieutenant in the Army. I enlisted first. I was enlisted for about five years and then uh, Montgomery GI Bill and was commissioned. Became a rotary wing aviator, helicopter pilot, and uh, spent 30 years uh, in the Army uh, all over the world. Uh, then at, uh, this, when the war started, wound up in the 101st Airborne Division where I spent about 12 years straight, uh, two years in the Balkans, two tours in Iraq, uh, two tours in Afghanistan, commanded at the uh, squadron or battalion level there, and then ultimately a brigade uh, in the Army. And from there, went out to work for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs on the Joint Staff in Washington, D.C. as a War Plans Division Chief, leading a group of strategists uh, planning for uh, war plans and pretty complex global problems. Decided uh, that it was uh, time to, to move on to the next chapter in life, along with my family. Essentially, uh, I've got four kids. I'd missed the first two's entire high school career and uh, I had two more coming along I didn't want to look back uh, in a decade and say well I miss all my kids lives and so uh, we decided to go a different path and um, I'd, I'd written two books um, and uh, the, the latter pale horse uh, hunting terrorist and commanding heroes 101st Airborne Division was doing quite well provided a lot of opportunities for me and uh, so I went and took 30 years of military experience leading and and peacetime and combat and turned that into uh, some leadership consulting, became a keynote speaker and uh, leadership consultant. So that's that's where we are today. <laughs> Got another book with my agent. So I hope to have that out and about uh, you know, on shelves the next year or so. And we go from there. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm actually uh, on your website as we speak and taking a, a look at your books. And um, how did... I mean, this may sound like a very obvious question um, because, you know, every uh, leadership speaker I have ever heard, um, you know, eventually ends up relating, you know, business leadership into, you know, uh, the military. But uh, I've never actually gotten a talk with somebody who has firsthand experience with that. So I'd be interested to hear you know, your experience on, on how leadership in the military really transferred over into business leadership. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time talking to CEOs all over the world about this exact thing. They, they have a preconceived 
idea that, uh, you know, well, some of that military stuff probably works and some of it probably doesn't, but what they do in DOD is a lot different than what we do in the business world. And at the end of my, my half day session, I do with folks, they're, they're absolutely convinced that, uh, the attributes of a successful 21st century business, the characteristics of the company, given the, the complexities and the speed of the 21st century, mirrors uh, the defense industry. It really does uh, in terms of how you have to shape your business as a leader. But when we get down to just the bare bone basics about leadership, how does it relate? Well, leadership is simply uh, trying to shape human behavior. That's all any CEO is trying to do in his corporation, his business, is to get the most out of his people, maximize their potential, thus maximizing the potential of the organization. That's exactly what a, uh, a military leader is trying to do. How do I get the, you know, the old Jim Collins good to great? How do I get the right person in the right seat with the right motivation to maximize their potential and accomplish the mission? Our, our missions vary between defense industry and uh the business world, but what we're trying to do with human beings is is the same. Yeah, sounds about right. And uh, I know, you know, a lot of preconceived notions, you know, about the military uh, when it comes to leadership is very, you know, um, well, very full metal jacket, to be quite frank, you know, barking, <laughs> barking orders and expecting people to follow them. And, you know, I, I don't really have too much experience with that but i know in the business world i have found that uh, that doesn't work very well and uh and I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to think that um it doesn't really work very well you know in in military settings either is that is that correct yeah i i think you were sitting somewhere when i at my last session or something because <laughs> uh i talk about this i mean you're drawing out some of the key points and I show a picture of Patton pointing uh, during World War II, and all these guys are looking at where he's pointing, you know, and it, it was a very hierarchical world. And when I, when I said earlier about the, the, the successful attributes of a 21st century business or a 21st century military, um, the, the Internet, the speed of things, uh, you know, everything has changed fundamentally. And so – uh, back in the, the hierarchy of the 70s, 80s, 90s in business, they were very C-suite driven. Leaders solved the problems. Leaders gave direction. It was about processes and systems efficiencies. The military mirrored that. It was very hierarchical. Um, I, I tell people I, I joined the Forrest Gump Army, you know, where the Forrest says, I just do what you tell me to do, drill sergeant. And that's right. If he's not screaming, you must be doing the right thing. Um <laughs> But, but that has changed. Uh, we have become more decentralized. Um, with speed being a factor, we have to trust and empower subordinates to, to make decisions. That feels very different as a leader. Some leaders become uncomfortable because other people are assuming risk for you. And, uh, and so um, it, it has changed a lot. Also, I spent a lot of time talking about the millennial generation and everything, and um, you know, when I was a young lieutenant, 23 years old, right out of college, I never saw my full colonel brigade commander, much less talk to him. Um, I, you know, he would put out some guidance that would get passed through about six leaders before I finally got told what he said. When I was a full colonel brigade commander, 2012 to 2015, 
Um, I did a command climate survey, and of my 140-something lieutenants, I found that their needs weren't being met. Their expectation was to hear it directly from me, to have a relationship with me. Um, I would have never dreamed of that in my generation. So their expectations, right or wrong, is a reality, and how do we meet those needs? How do we um, inspire them to maximize their potential? Um, the, the, the environment's changed, and leaders have to change with it. So, uh, yeah, the screaming, yelling, cussing, all of that, uh, it, it doesn't uh, make you the most successful leader today. And certainly morale within the organization plummets. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, I've I've worked for uh, I've worked for a few people who still believe in the uh, the screaming, yelling, cussing. In fact, uh, two weeks ago, I I left one of those places, and uh, um, you know, I I have found you know through my observations and and my experiences that um, you know really what people what people want, you know, even necessarily more than a relationship with their leaders is is really just the feeling that, you know, their leaders are willing to go to bat for them and, and the feeling that they're part of something bigger than themselves. And I think, you know, at least in the business world, um, the, uh, if you can instill that feeling in your employees, um, you know, you, you can be pretty successful. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about trust. Uh, trust is a is a two-way street, it, leader to lead and lead to leader. And it's little simple things. When I go in and, and observe a leader uh, in their organization with their people, uh, one of the first indicators you can pick up on is, is which person they speak in. So if you hear a leader up and they're, they're using a lot of I, me, and my versus we, ours, and us, you can clearly, right off the bat, make some pretty uh, valid assumptions uh, about how those people feel. If it's if it's mine and I, um, that usually doesn't create the team and the environment that they're looking for. Like you said, to be a part of something special uh, and to know that that they have ownership in it, buy-in. Yeah. So, what do you do if? you know, the, the leader itself doesn't completely buy into, you know, what the organization is doing. Well, I, I mean, hopefully uh, a board of directors or something is making sure that <laughs> that they're buying into the what they're doing. But, uh, you, you know, we, we talk about, I, I can go to most any organization and say, what do you do? And everybody knows what they do. Um, the question is, do they have vision? Uh, do they have a greater purpose? Um, you know, I, I use the the Apple Steve Jobs message. It, it wasn't about you know buy Apple's co- computers because we got more RAM, got more ROM, we're faster, you know, prettier, all this. It, it was about him messaging this greater vision as I want to fundamentally change the way in which you interact with files, the way you share music, the way I mean, your whole life is going to change through the way you interacted with, with digital media, they just happened to make, you know, iPads. They just happened to make iPhones. They just happened to make Mac computers. And so uh, that that is, you know, within companies, some have really gotten it well and made, you know, this, this greater vision and purpose of what they're doing, the why of what they do, powerful within the organizations and others have not. 
some, uh, you know, I'm a storyteller, uh, and I believe in the power of storytelling. Some leaders get that, and they can they can leverage that to get that buy-in with their people and sell it. Others struggle with that. And so, um, you, you know, it, it's about continuing to, to do leader development with, with those folks. That, that's what I try to make a living doing, uh, inspiring their organizations and coaching them to more effectively lead those organizations. And, you know, not everybody's a pentathlete. We all have, uh, we all have you know, blind spots, weaknesses that we can develop and become more effective as leaders. Just you got to be willing to change, though. Right, right. So when you you said you do uh, you do some some leadership consulting. So when you go into a business, what is the uh, what is the first thing that you do with them? Well, I, I like to sit down with uh, with the boss and talk through their perception of where their company is. So from through their lens, what is their vision, purpose, um, you know, their values, and then talk through uh, really down to their middle managers and where they think they are talk about where they see their company in the future you know 10 15 years from now and um and then go out and meet the people talk to the middle managers um get to know them and get their perception it's interesting that you know i i assumed that they would open up a little bit some might be a little nervous about that to a stranger but uh, you know i found that i can do things in a company that leaders can't um, just like, you know, I go in and help companies write a vision statement if they don't have one. I, I go in and help them uh, create purpose or, or define their purpose. I can facilitate that and say things and lead them toward an end that the leader couldn't do facilitating that. Uh, that, that surprised me how, I guess, pronounced that was. Uh, but people open up. They'll talk to you uh, if you gain their trust. And so, getting their perspective and then you start trying to put the dots together and, and, you know, holistically look at an organization and ask if, you know, are they operating at the the maximum potential they could and offer suggestions for, if not, how they, they work toward getting the most out of everyone. Sounds good. I, um, I've always toyed with the idea and, and, you know, being only two weeks into, uh, entrepreneurship, haven't really gotten a chance to test it out, but, um, you know, I've, I've, on a more personal level between friends and between, you know, I guess friends of friends, I've, I've gotten a chance to do a little bit of, I guess I would call it consulting work, uh, more, more advice giving than anything else. But I found it very uh, beneficial to really, um, you know, make sure that there's a, a solid vision of um, where they want to be. Um, first of all, because when, uh, when you have that vision, um, and then go in and kind of audit where you're at, like you were talking about, you can really compare what you're doing, um, and, and see, you know, is that bringing you closer to or farther away from your ultimate vision of yourself or your goals or, or whatever it is? Um, have you ever toyed with kind of starting with where they want to be rather than where they are? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, Certainly, the you know vision is vision, culture, and climate are my my three um, primary focus areas. And then obviously, it's the leadership that makes those that make you know make those things become a reality. Um, but I guess some of the more challenge. It, it's interesting. Some of the, the the leaders are resistant to change. They think they're not. 
But one of the first things I ask a guy or gal when I go in is uh, up front, are you willing to change? And when they really just ask straight out, am I willing to change, it feels different. <laughs> it's because a lot of them are very comfortable. They're very set in their ways. They're making good money. The question is, are they doing as well as they could be? And and what I do is obviously a soft science. It isn't, it isn't the math. Uh, and engineering side of the business, you know, it isn't the, the CFO stuff. It's the, are you getting, do you have the right employees in the right position doing the right things and motivated appropriately, incentivized appropriately to get the most out of them? And so it takes a lot of work. We're talking the culture of an organization there. And, you know, Stephen Covey would tell you, you can change structure overnight. And they may rebel on you, but you can change structure overnight. Changing the the culture of an organization is a Herculean task. Unfortunately for CEOs, it can't be delegated. <laughs> that is that is something the leader has to do. They have to lead that change, and their behavior will drive a lot of that change. And so uh, it, it means them, they're all busy. They all have the same amount of time in the day. Everybody's jam-packed full of stuff. It, it, you know, I, I go through this, okay, what are you doing that can be delegated? Are you doing the things that only you can do? And then those things that you're doing that someone else can do, why aren't they delegated? Because we need to free up time for you to do things like tell the story, message, counsel, you know, shape the way people behave within the organization. Interesting. So, well, here here's actually something that I've never asked before, which is interesting. Um, give me uh, give me any, an example of what you do. Do you have any like uh, uh, success stories that really like stick out um, in the forefront of your mind? Um, something that kind of even blew you away, even though you you went in there and kind of you know knew what you were doing and knew what you were looking for. Um. I'll give you an example of a, what I consider a success story um, with a leader who is very, uh, very open to change, recognize that they could be better, and really want to make a difference in his company. Um, th this organization is a, uh, a global company. They have districts in eight states in the United States. Um, he has a, you know, a district manager, a leader of each one of those eight locations. And they had very different styles of leadership, and he felt that, that that they weren't standardized in their operations, how they messaged the company, the business uh, in different regions of the United States. And so he brought me in uh, and brought all of them in uh, for a two-day um, less – they needed a vision statement. They had a mission. They had values, and they had kind of a an operate at the way – you are expected to present the company through sales, uh, customer uh, service, things like that. But but he wanted to make sure that everybody had to you know walked away from this thing with with the same viewpoint of of what you know. I'd give it away if I said his little slogan here. I don't want to name the company, but <laughs> anyway, um, I came in and um, and actually me and my partner in Outfront Leadership did this together. We kind of tag team back and forth. And um, we we talk them through all the tools as a leader they should be doing, and then I facilitated them writing their vision statement. Great collaboration. Everyone was a part of it, and, I mean, they were all nodding yes at the end. They loved it, 
So that was powerful in that, okay, I helped write it. It, it is us. That's who we are. That is our vision for the future. And then it was, okay, now, how do you, how are we going to hold you accountable? And I had you know them commit to making this a reality, all the things that we discussed there. The leader was able to meet with me beforehand, tell me where he thought we were, strengths and weaknesses of each of those district managers, and then I was able to kind of reinforce the things that he saw uh, as we as we collaborated in, in you know the work of two days over this seminar, and they they left really unified in purpose and and understanding what they were going to back, go back and do. And now we're, we're walking through the long-term strategy of how I come back in periodically, uh, you know, on a quarterly basis or monthly basis to, again, keep them accountable, help them hold them accountable to what they committed to. Awesome. Awesome. Have you found that's helpful the the follow-up and the continuation of, uh, you know, just to make sure everybody is, you know, accountable and, and kind of staying on course and, correcting oh yeah absolutely and and that's you know it's just like the vision statement it's kind of it's kind of funny that i i can't tell you how many how many organizations buy in that you know we need these things and they do an off-site they write them they put them on the internet and they put them you know they frame them and blow them up and frame them put them on the wall in their in their um corporate headquarters and I could walk through the business and talk to employees, and none of them could tell me what they are. <laughs> they, just, oh, they, 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 they spent all that time and energy and were very happy you know, when they walked away, but it, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just words on paper. I, I tell them it's paper deep. And how do we make it a part of our DNA of who we are? And so um, I spend a lot of time talking to them about uh, the, the, the power of, you know, really getting it right and then taking the time to exactly the thing I say is make it, you know, making it a part of your DNA. And, um, I, you know, it's not that hard to sell them on it when you show them. I mean, I, I, I have several vision statements that I throw up. I throw up a couple that are lukewarm, not that great, pretty vague. And with the name of the company, and I have them talk about them, and they kind of have mixed emotions about them. And then I throw up a vision statement, and I tell them, don't say anything. Just read it. And and I, I bet I can play it with you here. To organize all of the data in the world and make it accessible for everyone in a useful way. Any idea? It's It's easier if you're reading it than seeing it. I throw it up, and then I say, okay, one, two, three, and everyone in the room says Google. And then I throw up the next one, to be the Earth's most customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Amazon. Everybody screams Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And and so now – and I, and I, you know, I say I rest my case. When you get it right, we can see it, and it's empowering. And you think about Google, to organize all of the data in the world and make it accessible for everyone in a useful way. They do that and combine it with their with their innovation strategy, which is 20% of the work week, their employees can work on any pet project they want in terms of innovation. And that yields things like Gmail. That yields Google Maps. That yields satellite imagery on Google Maps. Street views outsourced to people taking you know, pictures. And so they clearly see then, okay, when, when, 
when you get it right, we can throw ours up on the wall and everybody in our company will look at it and go, that's our company. That's us. That's, I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> um, wow. I don't even know what to say. I mean, but you're, you're right. The, the, when you can create the vision statement and then follow through, you know, and really, really make it a part of your company, um, you know, your, your company becomes, I don't want to say instantly recognizable, but, you know, you become, you know, over time recognizable, you know, very, you know, to yeah. just like the, you know, Google, Amazon, Apple, they're, you know, Apple's a, a brand that I, I use as an example as well. You know, they're, they're not just yeah. a computer company. They, they challenge the status quo and everything that they do. Um, and and people know them for that, so that's that's pretty awesome. So, so what's next for you? You have uh, you have another book coming out, right? Uh, well, my agent has it right now, and we're in the process of uh, working with some publishers. So hopefully, uh, we'll agree to a deal here in the next few months. And um, but right now, I'm I hit the road Saturday, and uh, I was just trying to plan a, a visit back home and I, w- I was looking at my calendar and I'm not home a week until October 17th. <laughs> so um, speaking all over the U.S. and Germany, Alaska, and and so I'm going to be on the road speaking quite a bit and working with organizations and then uh, in the uh, in the meantime hoping to uh, get this other book sold and moving on from there. Are you allowed to uh, talk at all about what this next book is about? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's again, much like my book, Pale Horse. It tells a story through narrative. I mean, it tells uh, – Pale Horse tells about 2009 in Afghanistan, um, the story of, of our organization going in, flattening it, uh, empowering subordinates regardless of rank, age, um, to, to throw ideas on the table to help collectively solve. Uh, some pretty complex problems, and in, in, in the meantime, you know, we're in the battles in which five medals of honor are earned. So horrific fighting, and uh, but it's a leadership story. It's about the culture of the organization. How, when you get it, you know, get it right, then young people are willing to throw their ideas on the table. I tell people all the time. If you want innovation and initiative, if there is no trust, you won't get it. It will not exist. It ha- people have to feel safe to share their ideas, to throw them out, um, because some of them are going to be wrong. Some of them aren't going to work. That's got to be okay. Keep them coming. Um, and, and if they feel safe doing that, then they'll throw their ideas on the table. That's leader business. And that's work. So that that Pell Horse book tells that story. My next book tells the story of uh, the invasion of Iraq. I was a uh, COO of a cavalry squadron uh, going in through Iraq in that first year. And uh, transformational leadership, it tells a story so you get to escape just like in a novel. But I drive home these attributes uh, of my leader at the time, a guy named Steve Schiller, who understood that the the environment we were in had changed. Our military had been focused on the Cold War. I mean, I grew up, he grew up, all of us focused on uh, battle drills, a very scripted form of battle. Our doctrine was airland battle. And uh, it was very hierarchical, very top-driven, and we got a very different war. (laughs) We didn't get the the war we expected with the Soviet Union. We wound up... uh, 
you know, fighting a counterinsurgency, which required us to transform while at war to power down trust and empower subordinates to solve incredibly complex problems in a, in a, in a complex environment. And some of the leaders couldn't make that transformation. Some of the very senior leaders had grown up and built their career on something they knew very well, that airland battle, the, the Cold War, and they just couldn't make the transformation. It, it was challenging for them. So uh, that, that, was a, that was a tough time, but we learned some amazing lessons. And this, this book, through this, this narrative, draws those lessons out. Awesome, awesome. Uh, something that you said when you were talking about Pale Horse, it's actually something you and I were talking about this uh, last week, um, about how, you know, it's really important for leaders to understand that they don't have all the answers. And, uh, and not only that, but also that they don't have to have all the answers because they are surrounded, um, you know, surrounded by people who can help. And, um, you know, the reason why I stress they don't have to have the answers, because I think a lot of people in leadership positions, they, a, a lot of people feel obligated to have all the answers. Like they, they have to have them and they're a failure if they don't. And, uh, I think, I think the, the bigger failure is, is, you know, not having the answers and, you know, being too afraid to ask for help. Yeah. I, I mean, my generation, if you're, if you're over 45 years old, <laughs> you grew up in a world of leaders, leaders solving problems and having an answer. Be decisive. That's what, you know, I was trained coming up was, you know, be the authority, be decisive, make a decision, own it. And, um, and there is a time for that. Uh, in my seminar, I talk about the difference in command and control, which is very directive, uh, and mission command, which is it is an army term in which they tried to codify this idea of of creating an environment where you have disciplined initiative. So you give intent to your subordinate leaders, your middle managers, and through that intent, they're empowered to use disciplined initiative, solve the problems, make a decision down at the lowest level. There were times in combat um, where I had to I had to make a decision. I had to choose what we were going to do. The situation dictated command and control. You know, that that's just the reality of it. And in business, there's going to be times where the boss is just going to have to make a decision. Right. But there are other times where the boss should realize, you know, I've got an idea, but I don't like it. My gut's telling me there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> now the question is, have you created an environment where Jay is going to say, well, what about this? You know, I was thinking about this. We could potentially, you know, find success down these two courses of action. And you, you, as a as a leader, you're hoping that someone like that surprises you, and you go, "Yes, I never thought of that. Absolutely, <laughs> those moments are precious." <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. Awesome. So, uh, so where can people find you and all of your uh, your books and everything like that? Well, everything is centrally located on JimmyFBlackman.com, and that's J I M M Y F. B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N.com. Um, but I'm also obviously on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything else, and there's a lot of stuff out there. On the website, you can see videos of me speaking. You can see my books, clients that I've worked with, and, and everything like that. I got 
YouTube uh, channel with um, 5,000 or so subscribers. So uh, I, I try to keep videos up as I go as well. Uh, a lot of archery stuff on the YouTube. I, I was a competitive archer for many years, so there's a lot of stuff there on that. But my leadership stuff's on there as well. Awesome, awesome. And the book's available everywhere, you know, Amazon <laughs> or any bookstore. Good, good. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for making the time to be on here with me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed this conversation. Um, gave me a lot to uh, think about as I go into uh, my new career. And uh, and so I, uh, I thank you, sir. My pleasure. Awesome, awesome. Well, you have a good one, Jimmy, and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was Jimmy Blackman. What a great, great conversation about leadership. I wanted to uh, touch on a couple points uh, that were made during that conversation. Uh, first of all, um, about having the answers. If you are in a leadership position, I'm having trouble talking, but if you're in a leadership position, you don't need to have all of the answers. You know, it's impossible really to have all the answers. Sure, as Jimmy said, there are going to be times uh, where you're just going to have to make a decision and kind of hope for the best. But, you know, in general, you're not going to have all the answers and you don't have to. You are surrounded by an entire team of people in your organization that can help you come to the right answer. They can give you the ideas. They can help guide you. Everybody's experience is unique. And when the experiences come together as a whole, magical things can happen. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you tune in next week because we have Haley uh, from Buffer, my favorite social media tool. And uh, it's uh, going to be a great conversation. We're going to talk about transparency and uh, also about remote working. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the week and weekend, and I will talk to you next time.